ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these. Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutcher sitting across from me. Greg, what's going on, man? Dude, I have been whining about the weather all winter and spring, haven't I? <laughs> Until today. I know, right? Dude, I didn't even ask you. I mean, were you were you outside today? Uh, I was for the most part, yeah. Okay, good. So you weren't yeah. just stuck in a nope. truck and... Nope. Wasn't it gorgeous? It was, man. yeah. It was nice. What early? To, I mean, low to mid eighties. Low to mid eighties. Tomorrow's supposed to be a little warmer. Yeah, no rain in the foreseeable future, no. from what I wow. what I see. I mean, if I hear anything about a drought this summer, <laughs> I mean, I am. I feel like haven't we earned a month of zero rain? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been neat. I was just over at Ella's softball game before I came here, and that yeah. that little team is improving, dude. Are they? There was at least one ground ball. That was minimally touched by a glove, <laughs> and that is huge. Oh, that's you know that's like two thousand percent improvement. Oh right my there. goodness, it is. I mean, well, the fact that some of the kids were wearing the gloves was improvement. And boy, they're so cute. These six and seven year old girls. It is the funniest thing, and uh, it was just a nice night. And uh, yeah, I am. I'm pumped to be here. That's dude. great. Yeah, so excited. A um, couple of quick things before we get to our guest. First of all, um, just want to say if you listen over to Pop Culture Ninja, yes. uh, you know we are having our iTunes review contest. So we've got five great prizes that we're giving away. Greg, I noticed that you wrote a review on there. So yes, your name I will did. Be thrown into the uh, thrown into the random drawing mix there. I love it, dude. I almost feel like guilty. But then I'm like, wait a minute, I'm I'm not part of the show at That's Pop right. Culture Ninja. Uh, I mean, I, I had the privilege of guesting on it in yep. the first one. Uh, but um, yeah, I, that was fun, man. I and, I mean, isn't Shawshank one of those prizes? Yeah, the, the Shawshank. Yeah, DVD? actually, uh, one of our uh, listeners from these go to eleven, Kaylee, uh, won Shawshank on. That oh, one, she so. oh, she won it. Very yep. cool. Way to go, Kaylee. So, yeah, super excited. Um, so just remember, you still got some time. If you go ahead and write the iTunes review today, it should post by tomorrow. Yep. And, uh, you know, you'll be entered in because we are doing the drawing on Thursday. So, yes. yeah. Um, so that's all the news from Pop Culture Ninja. We are on iTunes. So join us, subscribe to us, like us, review us, all that crazy stuff. Um, but before we go any further on the show, a word from our sponsor. Olive Tree uh, Software, I saw they uh, tweeted out today on their um, their Twitter page. Um, just a cool thing. I mean, they, they, they've been around like 15 years, which is pretty wild. You know, the internet age is still so uh, new in many yeah. ways, and they've been with it from early on. And uh, I saw they had some people, uh, they just sort of uh, invited people to say how they used it. It was really cool. Uh, again, I love it because my ESV, dude, I got it on my iPhone. I've got it on my iPad. I've got yeah. it on my MacBook. Got it on all three. Um, Calvin's commentaries are built in there. The Bible maps are on there. The split screen view is great. Uh, and just to have it all there. I mean, there are some things you can do online with some other places that are great too. But if you download this as I have, it's just all your data is there. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy. Next time you're stuck in the MVA, uh, I'm sorry, the DMV in most states. <laughs> yeah. It's the MVA here in Maryland. And you're like A12. Yeah. Um, and they're on A1, <laughs> and they're moving very slowly. You pull out your app, mm -hmm. and uh, you could have your devotional there, which you'll probably need to keep your spirit calm, <laughs> uh, remind you, uh, you know, who Christ is to us. But uh, great, great products. And again, uh, from now until the end of the month, we're, we're, we were getting there, uh, until May 31st, 2016. Yeah. Uh, if you use our special promo code SUSTAIN11, SUSTAIN11, uh, you get 20% off their products. So uh, 
I hope you guys will use it before the window closes. They've been a great sponsor. Awesome. Awesome. So, so excited about um, the guests we have on. This is almost in some ways a part two, Greg, mm-hmm. because uh, we had same. James Chu, James yeah. and Christina Chu on um, about, what was it, about a month, month and a half yeah, ago? Six weeks like ago, that. two yeah. months ago, somewhere there. Um, and the gentleman who led them or led James to Christ, Matt Smeathurst, is here joining us. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Such a pleasure. Um, Matt, tell us a little bit about what you do because, um, you know, back a little while ago, you were instrumental in working with uh, Campus Crusade and um, crew and and bringing James to Christ. And you're in a little bit of a different role now. So tell us a little bit about what you do, where you are, friends, family, all that fun stuff. Uh, Yeah, my wife and I uh, live in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, we have two little girls, four and two, and <laughs> we're expecting our first first son in July. Hey, nice. congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I have three younger sisters and two daughters, so I, I have no clue what I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be fun, man. Uh, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Um, we moved here seven years ago now, believe it or not, to uh, for, for me to go to seminary, and um, I graduated in 2012 with my Master of divinity and uh we've just stayed here ever since uh in part because we we love the city but mainly because we we really love our church um where i I now serve as an elder and uh it's just been a really uh healthy place for us where we've flourished as a family and and flourished spiritually and uh work-wise i i serve as managing editor for the gospel coalition i've um been working for TGC in, in some capacity for almost five years and full-time for almost four years. So basically, it's, it's kind of a content management role, uh, overseeing the editorial team and kind of the day-to-day publication efforts. So articles, book reviews, interviews, videos, basically all the content that we, we put out on our website um, is, is, uh, is my responsibility to oversee. So cool, so cool. I, I have to ask Matt. You may have mentioned, but where are you from? Um, or I guess where were you prior to moving to uh, to Louisville? Yeah, I grew up in Virginia and uh, went went to college there in Virginia, and uh, then after graduation, moved over to East Asia, where I lived for two years and and served. Um, doing campus ministry and that's where i met i met the brother james that you were referring to earlier so cool so cool and so when when you were um when you were uh serving with well i'll say the organization was it ccc or was it crew then uh because i know they changed it in recent years it was it was campus crusade for christ so they hadn't they hadn't made that made that change yet gotcha gotcha because when I, i when i was in it um, I get the impression you're a little younger than I am. I was, um, uh, I, I was, well, I, I was never on it as a staff member, but uh, I was in college from 88 to 92. And back then, and it must have dropped, they were debating calling it Here's Life. Because for a while, I know they had a, you know, that was their publisher, um, which I don't think exists anymore. But, uh, you know, the way IV obviously is a group and it has its own publisher. Navigator is very similar. Uh, uh, I remember yeah. uh, Crusade had Here's Life and they, 
I remember people saying, man, I don't like Here's Life. I, I don't like that name. <laughs> you know, it just sounds, <laughs> right. sounds strange. So I always wondered where that would go. So I was just, uh, I was just uh, curious about that. But did you, did you come yeah. to faith We're- in, uh, in college uh, through crew? No, I, um, God saved me, I, I, I think, at the age of four. Um, wow, cool. Through the, the faithful witness of my mom and dad. Wow. Uh, and I grew up in a Christian home, understanding myself to be a Christian. I was a, a pretty good kid, although I was also silly and mis, you know mischievous, and, and, and especially middle school and high school. Uh, the, the image I have in my mind is that... that Jesus and, and my relationship with him was kind of like a, a side dish in my life, but it hmm. wasn't the, the, the main course. And, and um, you know, sports, especially basketball, girls, academics, all those things were kind of vying for first place in my heart. And it wasn't until I went to college um, at James Madison University that the Lord really arrested my heart in a, in a fresh way and gave me... Um, Man, just just a love for his word, a, a love—not uh, just a love for evangelism, but but I, I kind of learned for the first time how to how to share my faith and yeah. developed a, a, a real heart for um, for theology and, and all the rest. So college was was hugely instrumental in in my growth. So cool, so cool, very very similar on my end. And I have to pick your brain offline on that sometimes, Matt, because we uh, my wife. Uh, was just uh, last night or yesterday afternoon planning. Uh, we have a 17 year old daughter who, who graduates next year from high school, and JMU is okay. on is on her short list. Um, so she uh, she's very interested, and we've had some friends that have gone there. And uh, I was there years ago. Man, what a beautiful campus that is! Have you ever been there, Nathan? I have to not. James Madison? No, just not to that one. Terrific, terrific place. So, real quick, yeah. would you give it a thumbs up for a collegiate experience? I'd give two. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, good. My, don't get carried away here. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my wife went there as well. So we, um, we were just kind of good acquaintances in, in, in college. It, it wasn't until we were in East Asia that uh, we, we were on the same missions team, and that's when we became friends and started dating. But we both had really help, you know, really positive experiences at JMU and the, the, the Christian community there for a public state school, it's, I think, uncommonly strong. Wow. Um, and so I, I, I think the world of, of JMU. Yeah, I mean, that goes back a ways. Again, I, I remember, Matt, being at a um, Campus Crusade, the, the annual Christmas conference, which they used to have at the uh, Adams Mark Hotel in Philadelphia. My mind goes back there as a young man and uh the jmu contingent was big um because we you know there were obviously a lot of college kids there on winter break that you know were were showing up to this conference when a lot of kids are skiing or back home partying and it it was just such a a cool thing and i always remember jmu had a very strong uh, ministry presence there so that's just very neat to me that you were uh you were part of it and nathan i know you, you 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 want to bring up when james talked to us about some of those early kind of Christian discipleship moments he had uh, <clears throat> that, you know, I mean, Matt apparently had an Acts 2 kind of ministry because I remember he, he mentioned something about a mighty rush of wind. Yeah. Um, so, I, 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 you know. Uh, <laughs> see, Matt, that's how we get people to go back and listen. 
What, what is he talking about? That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> wet, wet their appetite. That's, that's wise marketing. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that was a real highlight that night for, for James to mention that, that, uh, you know, there was a little cross-cultural experience there. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be cryptic and let our audience, if they don't remember it, maybe go back and listen to that uh, um, I think that was the uh, the gospel in Asia yep. was the title of that podcast a month or two ago. But um, anyway, it, it, thank you, Matt, for for being on tonight. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to be here. So, Matt, um, we we had some questions for you. We thought um, these topics that we're going to talk about tonight would be so great because of your background and your experience um, with missions, with evangelism, um, being in the gospel coalition and, and the gospel being a primary force there, obviously. Um, what would you say to this ever-growing um, popular idea um, about Christ working through uh, other religions, um, and when when we say that, there, there's this increasing idea that um, people will talk about the movement going on in Islam or Buddhism, and you know, kind of say, yeah, well, we're not going to be so Christ-centered because Christ is already over there and working in those things. And so we're just going to kind of know when people are Christians and we're going to kind of encourage them and build them up. But we're not going to be so proactive about preaching Christ as the only way. Um, what, are, what are some of your thoughts on, on that and what's going on there? Did you see any of that as you were um, a missionary that's a good question, Nathan. The the uh, I didn't I didn't encounter that in particular, um, though. Since I've been back in the states, I've I've certainly come across uh, that kind of mentality, mm-hmm. and I, I trust that it's, it's well intentioned. I trust it's coming from a heart of of sincerity. But uh, of course, it's it's easy to to be um, sincere but sincerely wrong. Yeah. And I, I think that. Um, the, the problem with that that kind of mentality is it, it, it just can't really it can't stand up to to the to the witness of scripture. So I think of just one among many texts that comes to mind would be uh, Romans ten, which displays the necessity of uh, not just the gospel for salvation, or not just not even just Jesus for salvation, but the necessity of faith in Jesus, conscious faith in Jesus mm-hmm. for salvation. Paul Paul writes. Everyone, and there's kind of a there's kind of a, a logical chain here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, he asks rhetorically, can they call on the one they haven't believed in? Mm. And how can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And then and then he says uh, a couple of verses later, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So mm-hmm. the that chain of logic. I think is is plain. The only way to be saved is to call on Christ's name. The only way to call on Christ's name is to believe the gospel. The only way to believe the gospel is to hear it, and the only way to hear it is to be told it. Mm. And so, the moment the moment you remove the um, the necessity of uh, conscious faith in Christ for salvation, you gut the the very nature and urgency of um, of, of mission in, in the Bible. And, I, and so that's just one, one example of a passage that, that comes to mind when I hear people talking about 
you know, sometimes it'll be called anonymous Christianity, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. being being anon- anonymous Christians. They're mm-hmm. they're saved, but they don't know it. Yeah. Um, they're 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 saved by a Jesus they've never heard of. Uh, and I just think I, I just think it, it, it's unwise. Yeah, yeah, it's um, interesting. Just before we we went on air tonight, Matt, Nathan, and I were talking about the um, the explosive passage at the end of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, you know Narnia series uh, in in the last battle, and I I don't have it in front of me. I mean, I, I looked up a, a, a couple of quick notes here that um, you know near the very end of the book uh, there is a uh, soldier named Emmeth. Um, who is from a distant land, worshipped a, a false god named Tash, or Tosh, or obviously T-A-S-H. Um, and uh, I don't know, are, are you uh, are you aware of that passage? Um, it sound, I sound like I'm talking about the Bible, of that <laughs> yeah. section yeah. of the book. Yeah. Um, I am, yeah. And, and far be it for me to critique C.S. Lewis on my inaugural podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's sort of throwing you right into the lion's den, yeah. Literally, the Aslan but, yeah. den, yeah. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. Yeah, it's particularly in that passage. Uh, you know, he he popularized um, in in a really compelling way. I mean, you can you can see why this. Um, like I said, this is coming from a, a sincere, well-intentioned heart. It a lot of what we believe as Christians and what the Bible presents is is emotionally difficult, and, yes. and the the reality the reality of hell, the reality of of humanity's lostness apart from faith in Christ that that is that is an emotionally excruciating uh, thought mm-hmm. and so I understand the, the, the motivation that would lead to um, this doctrine or, or something like the way CS Lewis in his you know very compelling way would would um, would present it in, in novel form yes another passage another passage that comes to mind uh, that uh, I'll just I'll just mention briefly because when I think of what Lewis is doing there and, and and what others are doing when they when they talk about Christ being present in Buddhism or Islam and obviously we want to we want to acknowledge that 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 God is omnipresent you know he he is he is everywhere so mm-hmm. it's not that um, he isn't found in other cultures and, and all the rest but whether there's whether he's He's present to bless and present to save apart from the gospel. That's really the question. And uh, I just think of Acts 10. I, I think it's a really illuminating passage for this for this conversation. Acts 10, uh, you have the story of the devout, God-fearing Gentile named Cornelius. Mm-hmm. And if there were if there were ever a man, I mean, we encounter him at the beginning of Acts 10. He he's praying to God. He's he's giving alms. I mean, if if there were ever um, a candidate for salvation through general revelation. In mm-hmm. other words, someone who, who could have been saved just by, by the light he already had, uh, it would have been Cornelius. Yes. Um, he, he was one of the most spiritually responsive people around. Uh, the, the Bible goes so far as to call him a devout, God-fearing man. And yet, the whole narrative is about the fact that he needed to hear the gospel. Yes. Um, and he he's given uh, you know he's given a vision to send for Peter. Uh, his men go get Peter. Peter comes, and uh, Cornelius has specifically been told that he 
Peter's going to bring a message. So, so he's preparing not just for some informal uh, fellowship to be around Peter in terms of presence. No, he, 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 he's expecting words from Peter, and specifically he says there in Acts 10, a message through which um, this household will be saved. So the implication is that apart from the message Peter's about to speak, even someone like Cornelius can't be saved. Mm. And, and the story un- unfolds, and he hears the gospel, he repents, he believes. And I just, you know, obviously Luke there isn't writing a systematic theology. He's not using language, he, he's not using terms like inclusivism or mm-hmm. uh, universalism or, or, all the, uh, or things like that. And yet, the point is clear. Um, uh, Cornelius, even someone like Cornelius, the most sincere religious person needed to hear the gospel in order to be saved. Yeah, that's uh, excellent, excellent. And that uh, I'm going to steal that because uh, I'm doing a little men's. We've got a group of older guys that meet on Wednesday morning at our church, and we're going through Acts. We're going to be in chapter ten in about three or four weeks. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Uh, one of the passages that that popped in my mind too, Matt, just to 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 get your take on. Uh, you even, uh, I, I think, mentioned earlier that, you know, you can be sincere, and of course, uh, as the saying goes, sincerely wrong. I mean, Paul testifies quite, I think, uh, compassionately, in a very affirming manner, his fellow Israelites in Romans 10, you know, that they, they, they've got a zeal. Um, and to me, that's about as close as you get today to, you know, sincerity, zeal, passion, they earnestly right. embrace it, but he says it's not according to knowledge. So, I mean, that's the classic right. to me. It, they they have zeal. He affirms them on that, but it's misplaced. It's wrong, and the uh, the, uh, the the you know stakes could not be higher because um, rather than um, submitting to God's righteousness, they've tried to establish their own. Um, and then, do, do you think as well? Um, Acts 17, I've always found interesting because many people will use Acts 17 to defend the opposite point uh, where Nathan kind of um, um, started us off tonight by saying, you know, well, some people say Christ is at work. Look at the altar of the unknown God. When to me that passage has always screamed, right, look what Paul does with it. You know, what you worship in ignorance, I now proclaim to you who he is. The implication is that what they had wasn't enough. And they needed to hear the, the, the work of Christ that God has fixed today where all men everywhere shall repent. Um, you know, just you know, wondering as we track through those passages if that, uh, uh, if that resonates with you. I think I know the answer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he didn't quote, you know, he didn't quote the, um, you know, Epimenides and Eratus and the, you know, the, the Greek poets and then say, let's close in prayer. Yes. I think people, people that turn to, turn to Acts 17, uh, which is a glorious passage, they often, in, they often stop too soon. Like you said, he proceeds to, uh, end on a note that, that many of us would be scared to end on, which is a note of, of, of the coming judgment of Jesus. Yes. Yes. And I, um, yeah, because you're right. I've had people appeal in Acts 17. Look, he's he's saying, in essence, that God's been at work. And it's not that we would deny that. I mean, obviously, in him we live and move and have our being, which is a, a quote-unquote secular quote itself. 
but you're right. What he does with it and where he takes it is interesting. So I, I think I know Matt yeah. where, where, where you're coming on this, but I'm, I, I've been yeah, very, and- uh, very worried in recent years when I read articles or read blogs where people almost suggest that preaching the gospel in foreign lands is imperialistic, insensitive, um, is not showing deference to the the work God's already been doing in people's hearts beforehand, and just obviously love to keep hearing your thoughts on that since you've lived this. Right. Well, and at the risk of belaboring the point, just as while we're talking about Acts, you know, a really famous verse uh, in Acts when we're talking about Jesus being the only way is, is obviously Acts four twelve. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Salvation salvation is found in no one else. And there is no under no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, mm. now I've known that verse for years, but it, it wasn't until a couple years ago that I noticed something in that verse that really applies to this this conversation, and that is the word name. So it doesn't say there is no other savior under mm. heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I know we're not really, I haven't really defined terms, but, but folks who are called inclusivists, those who believe that, that people, the man on the island, you know, can be saved uh, by Jesus without knowing it, mm-hmm. without, without conscious faith. Uh, well, inclusivists could agree with Acts 4.12 if it just said, for there is no other Savior under heaven, mm. uh, or no other person under heaven. Uh, by which we must be saved, but but uh, it goes. It, it's even more specific. It says there is no other name, which I think implies a specifically expressed identity. Mm. Jesus, Jesus mm. Christ. Man, boy, that's good. Man. Yeah. Um, now, Matt, something that I've heard over the years uh, as a quote is that there is one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. But there are many ways to Christ. Mm-hmm. What do you have to? Your thoughts on that quote, and have you seen examples of where that might be true or not true? I've never heard that before, but it, it rings true to me. Uh, I mean, there uh, is, is certainly many, many ways to Christ. If you just think about the different kinds of uh, evangelism in the Bible, there, there's what you could what you could call family evangelism, mm-hmm. uh, where um, you kind of like my my story. Um, or, you know, Paul writes to Timothy, and, and he speaks of Timothy's sincere faith, which first lived in his, his mom and grandma. Yeah, uh, yes, yes. And so, so, so that, that's one, one way to Christ, and, and there's also what, what has been called friendship or, or relational evangelism, uh, which, you know, I think we see clearly in, in say, First Thessalonians 2, where Paul says, we loved you so much, Thessalonians, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Um, but the only thing I, I, I think is important to point out when we're talking about friendship evangelism, I, I, I know in my own heart, I have gone through seasons where I've, I've been slow to want to open my mouth to mm-hmm. talk about Jesus, and I've excused it because, well, this is just friendship evangelism. But as Matt Chandler has put it, he said something like, Friendship evangelism, go for it, as long as it turns into actual evangelism, right. <laughs> which I think, which I yeah. think is, is a good word. Yes. Uh, but then there's also you, what you could say, uh, what you could call contact evangelism, where you're just where you're just engaging a stranger, someone you've never met, with with winsome, gentle, kind love, 
and and sharing the gospel with them. So yeah, many ways to Jesus, um, but only uh, only one way to God. Yeah, yeah. Well, well said, Matt. And I, um, yeah, and 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 I like the way you contextualize that because I I wonder, Nathan. I don't know who you've heard that from. I've heard that too. Maybe not quite like that, but people that sort of take it back to the original idea that you started with. That yeah, so. Islam can get you to Jesus. Uh, Buddhism can get you to Jesus. And I think, boy, I'm really going to dwell, Matt, on the um, uh, what you shared about the name. That's something I've never really even thought of yeah. before. And I, unfortunately, I've already covered Acts 4 in the retired men's Bible study. So uh, I might back up tomorrow and uh, revisit that for a moment. But, um, no, very, very, uh, very helpful. And I, because uh, I, I remember when I was in seminary, we had a conversation in the in the cafeteria one day, Matt, where people were saying, hey, wouldn't the most loving thing to do if some of these things that people assert are true are not send missionaries to the 1040 window, but just build an impenetrable wall around it so people live and die without ever hearing the gospel? Um, it's Trump decades right. earlier. Yeah, hi, hi, hi. Right. Hire Donald Trump. Exactly. We'll build the wall and we'll get the inclusivist to pay for yeah. it. <laughs> oh, touche, man. That was good. Yeah, we'll get. That's a campaign promise, and the inclusivists are going to pay for this themselves. <laughs> that was good. Because it, it really, I mean, it is. It, and you almost think, well, come on, that's patently absurd. It's so contrary to the Great Commission and the. Paul's passion to preach Christ where he was not yet named, um, you know, and, 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 and to go into the world, uh, you know, and in a sense, it's like, well, the church should be shielding people from the gospel because if they hear it, they could be held accountable. And, um, that's right. And, you know, anyway, yep. yeah, that we, we've got to do something, yeah. Nathan, we, we got to. We got to come. We got to get John Holman, our artist, to get give us a picture of that. Uh, Trump inclusive inclusivism cartoon, maybe missional wear. We'll see what we can could do. be a new greeting card. It could, it could. We could have the inclusivist line of greeting cards right up there with Reverend James King. But we'll uh, we'll we'll get to that um, uh, some other yeah. time. And let me let me just like say this is this is one of those examples where the terminological deck is stacked against us. I mean, it, it, the way that the terms are, you know, inclusivist versus, you know, exclusivist. I mean, that, that, no one wants to be an exclusivist. I I mean, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the first to say, I want, I want, I want to include, not exclude. And, and, and that's why I think it's always helpful to point out. I, I, uh, I, I try to remember to do this when, when I'm talking to folks about this. And, and that's that, uh, when you encounter passages in Scripture that 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 highlight the exclusivity of Jesus, you know, I am the door mm -hmm. uh, of the of the sheep. No one enters. No one can be saved but by me. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, well, yes, it's it's clear that that there's only one door, and that's exclusive. Um, but yet. Uh, that one door has been flung open mm. to anyone who will enter. And in that sense, Christianity is the most inclusive religion in the world, because it's not just a religion for good people. It's not just a religion for religious people. 
it, in fact, it's a it's a it's a religion. It, it's it's a it's a um, it's a faith for messed up people. And it's not that those who are good can enter. It's that those who are humble, who realize that they um, don't deserve to walk through that door, can enter. So I, I think I think thinking of Christianity as, as a religion of inclusive exclusivity. There's one door, mm, well exclusive, said. but that door is wide open to anyone who will walk through it. Amen. Yeah. Such good thoughts there. And I mean, we see that even when, as Christ is saying these things, you know, he weeps at the wall of Jerusalem yeah, that, yeah. you know, had the people only come to him, how he would have embraced them and accepted them. And um, so yeah. s- such good thoughts mm-hmm. there. Um, kind of continuing on this this line of thought um, with evangelism and, and different methods that are out there, um, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the parachurch organizations that are out there. Um, you're working with the Gospel Coalition. You had worked with Crew um, at one point. And just what are some of your thoughts on those parachurch organizations? Um, do you think it's, it's a good thing that we have so many – uh, branches and outreaches that are that are there, or do you think it maybe sometimes hinders? Just some of your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's a tough question and a and a great great one, Nathan. Uh, I am a product of the parachurch. I mean, I when I was mentioning earlier that uh, that I really grew in my faith in college. You know that. That wasn't just random. It was it was through the ministry of crew, and I, I have many friends who have grown through the ministry of InterVarsity and campus outreach and others. And so, uh, I am I am not anti parachurch. I I, uh, I am so thankful for the work of many parachurches. In fact, I have formal theological education because of a parachurch ministry known as a seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Having said that, I I think that. Uh, to the degree a parachurch ministry spotlights and serves the local church, it is useful. Mm. And to the degree it doesn't, it's it's not. It's not useful. And and, mm. and I I think even when I was in college, uh, crew was my functional church. And I I would mm. I think I knew enough to to not admit that to you. I think I would have maybe <laughs> known the length. I, I would have known the language of. Uh, parachurch should serve and support and supplement the church, not replace it. But functionally, it, I um, my my Christian life was anchored in in the parachurch. The, the local church was peripheral, but the parachurch was central. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's been in the past several years that, that I've come to see that for, for all the good that happened in college, and I'm so thankful for what the Lord did in my life— that I was really shortchanging myself. I, I was robbing myself of um, the the unique benefits that come through formal commitment to Christ's people in a local church. And I'm in I'm in a church now where we have a campus ministry that that is a, is a ministry of our church and and on the it's called Cardinal Christian Fellowship mm-hmm. uh, because we're we're right next next to the University of Louisville and. On campus, it kind of looks and runs like a crew or an university. There's a there's a weekly large group meeting. There are evangelistic events. Uh, in a sense, all the benefits that you would get from these parachurch organizations are still there. And yet, the whole thing is accountable to our elders. It's it's 
it's funded and by and anchored in our church, and and we also encourage students. We, we, we view it as a recruiting vehicle, not just to Jesus, but to the local church. We want it to be a funneling system. We want people to come to know Christ, and then we want to funnel them into local churches where where God has custom-designed, uh, the, the place God has custom-designed for them to grow and flourish as Christians. And so it's been so encouraging for me to see, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old uh, students with a lot more biblical and theological maturity than I had at that age, who are are involved in Cardinal Christian Fellowship on campus, and yet they're uh, they're not second class citizens in our church. Mm, they're they're wow. in home groups. They're they're serving. They they're they would say that the furnace of their um, walk with the Lord that it's that it is anchored in in our church, which I think, I think is a really beautiful thing, that it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, uh, very well said, Matt. I, I, this is a a short anecdote. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, at a funeral a few years ago of a woman who was a very wonderful, godly woman, uh, and her life was, was, was cut short and a very large crowd at the funeral. Um, this was a woman who uh, was a member of of my church, um, and it was it was sad to me. It, it was it was a bittersweet moment because she, there was such you know how it is when there's such a clear cut. This person was a believer. <laughs> you know, you're not. You, you don't have to say, man. I I I hope she embraced Christ. I she showed some interest. It was just slam dunk, no doubt about it. So there was great celebration mixed in with the mourning. Um, she loved the Lord. She had served in a number of ministries, local ministries, everything from sort of pro-life crisis pregnancy sort of thing to counseling ministries, ladies Bible, uh, groups, uh, you know, it, it, really, really wonderful. I looked around mm-hmm. this large crowd, Matt, maybe five people from the church, um, were there along with me. Uh, and I actually pre- preached at this funeral and so many people got up to testify, and I realized the majority of people in our own church didn't know her. Um, and and that that is a little bit of an unusual situation. But yeah. here was a woman, by the time she came to our church, because it is a fairly new church plant, it's about 13 years old, had a, a host of ministry experiences. And, and this is my theory, Matt. I, I'll throw it out to you as, as a working theory. You pretty much alluded to this. I think the really mature Christian knows okay, I have to belong to a local church because when you're in all these other parachurch ministries and you're fellowshipping or you're serving together, naturally the question is, hey, uh, where do you go to church? And you you, you kind of have to have an answer to that. You know, if you were to say, well, I'm not really in a church right now, most right. everybody's going to say, right. well, you know, you really need to be part of the local church. But that was such an example to me. I mean, I don't in any way discount this woman's wonderful life and testimony. It just saddened me that is this evidence that the parachurch is maybe a little hyped up on steroids in in some cases where there's so many opportunities for people to be involved that in essence it, it can hurt the mission of the local church. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, and, and you know, it's the same with, with even just 
the means of grace, the preaching of the word. I mean, with with podcasts, you know, we yeah. we know that iPods make very poor pastors, <laughs> and yet it's it's easy to feel like you've kind of gotten your spiritual itch scratched through all these various things. You know, kind of the uh, just entertaining, not entertaining ourselves to death, but even sort of ministering ourselves to death. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I, I think that. I think that a, a, a sign of a healthy parachurch ministry is that it helps the local church be the local church yeah. better than it otherwise could be. It, mm-hmm. In other words, it helps it help rather than encroaching on the local church's turf and and kind of presenting a competitive alternative to it. It serves the local church in unique ways. That um, and, and does things that the, that the local church can't do. So take take seminary for instance. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm really thankful, you know, as a, as an elder of a church, that it's not the, the responsibility of our church under Jesus to provide formal theological education and to teach Greek and Hebrew to people. Yeah. I'm thankful <laughs> that that there's an that there's an institution 15 minutes away that does that. Yes, um, but. The, the counterbalance to that is, is recognizing that seminaries do not produce pastors. Mm-hmm. Local churches do. Yes. Seminaries produce, produce, you know, MDiv graduates, but, but just because you have an MDiv does not mean that you're, you're qualified to, to be a minister. Uh, I trust, I trust Satan would do quite fine uh, yes. on, on, the, on theology exams. Yes. And so I think that, uh, yeah, just just a sign of health for parachurches is that they're they're coming alongside the local church with a posture of how can we help you be better, um, and yeah, so I, I, I I've found that a useful way to think of it. Yes, uh, thank you, Matt. So often I, I've got to give the shout out to uh, our uh, our executive pastor here, Mark Sweeney, who uh, almost joined us tonight, uh, but he had a uh, a counseling uh, commitment in the other building. But um, he he said, "Oh man, I'd love to be on and, and pick Matt's brain on that too." And I, he gets more of the phone calls than I do, um, you know, with his, uh, his where his office is, and uh, he's sort of the the first line when people come into the church and ask questions. And you know, obviously, he fields a number of calls, and, and, and many of them good. I, I don't want to be unnecessarily disparaging here at all. But he, he he'll get a number of calls from parachurch groups. Uh, and some are just very simple. Hey, we've got an event. We're letting the churches in the area know, you know, dot, dot, dot. And mm-hmm. you'll note it. And, you know, from time to time, there's organic connection with people here in the church and, and they can foster those contacts a little more easily. But, um, a lot of times he'll, he will say there are, um, calls that come in or emails or literature that, you know, all the speak is there. I mean, it's all proper church speak. You know, oh, yeah, we, we, right. we're here to serve the local church. But he said, it seems with some of them, it's kind of like uh, they want to be served by the local church. And I know so yeah, many pastors, yeah. Matt, that are burdened and feel like the bad guy because well, we just can't say yes to everything. And when you say no, you know, sometimes there could be some hard follow up. Oh, now can I just ask why you wouldn't want to support this? You know, da da da. And and uh, I want to be very careful here. I, I don't want to overgeneralize, but um, I think what you just said. I mean, the seminary is such a great example when it's well done. I mean, I'm thinking we have three pastors on our church staff. All of us have gone to three different seminaries, 
And I like to think that that is currently serving our people. Um, the pastors that were privileged to take those three or four years and immerse themselves into scripture and uh, pastoral methods and those things, you know, produce great fruit. Um, and I think there are some uh, other organizations as well. But I can tell you for a fact uh, that I had the same story. When I was in college, Campus Crusade was my church for four years. Um, right. And I would visit a church um, and uh, go occasionally, but there were a lot of Sundays, I'm going to be honest. Well, I've got the main event, that's what we called it on Thursday night, and that's like church. And then I'm in these uh, you know, two groups, one where I'm a Paul and one where I'm a Barnabas, uh, and probably one where I was a Timothy, you know, learning. And um, I didn't go. Uh, and and I, I, I'm not blaming Crusade for that. I mean, nobody would have said, yeah, yeah, do that. I'm just saying it was very easy to fall into that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my own my own story is similar. I, I alluded to it a bit earlier. But, you know, when I was in college, I, I really did value fellowship. So it's not like I thought Bible reading and prayer and, and witnessing were really important, but, like, fellowship wasn't. I, I knew fellowship was was essential. Mm-hmm. I just was getting I was getting that yes. elsewhere. I didn't yes. feel like I needed the church. And uh and and this is so obvious you may hear this and think, well, man, you you know, it's just one of those things that's so so obvious that you can miss it. And and that is that the new the majority of the New Testament is written to local churches. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of approached the Bible like it was a a love letter where Paul was you know, writing a love letter from Jesus where Paul was writing specifically to me, and therefore any time the word you showed up in, in the Bible, it was it was uh, second person singular. But I've, I've really been convicted in recent years um, over the fact that, that no, uh, when, when the word you shows up, it, it is referring, uh, it is referring to, to Christians in the plural, and to be even more specific, the word church, ecclesia, uh, it, it appears, I think, around 110 times in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Now, if in, co- if in college you had told me that, hey, Matt, the word church is on basically every page of your New Testament, I would have probably said, yeah, I know, and it's referring to Christians in the plural. Mm-hmm. You know, just any, just there are dog, dogs, cat, cats, Christians, church. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's just it's just referring to any Christians in the plural um, hanging out at Starbucks, or or it's referring to all believers everywhere. You know the universal church. But I was uh, I was shocked, and as I said, convicted a few years ago when I when I learned that out of the, those 110 occurrences of the word church in the New Testament, 97 are referring to an actual concrete local church. Wow, 97. Wow. At over 90%. And, and therefore, when, when I read my Bible now, I'm trying to make my default assumption be, uh, okay, this he's, he's writing to a congregation here. And how does that knowledge that he's writing to a congregation and not just to an individual Christian or a random collection of Christians, how does that inform how, um, how this passage should, should be understood? And, uh, Speaking of crew, last thing I'll say on this, uh, there's a great guy named Byron Strong. He has served for many years as the crew's director of theological development for the Mid-Atlantic region. And he wrote 
uh, a great article in, where, in which he compared the relationship between church and parachurch to the relationship between a family and a soccer team. In hmm. the, the whole article, he just kind of reflected on the differences between these two good things. It's not that families are good and soccer teams are bad, but he, but he said, you know, soccer teams are are temporary. There there's a there's there's the playoffs and there's the championship game and then the season's over. Uh, soccer teams are have a very specific or narrow purpose. I mean, you, you, you're gathering together with people to do one thing, and that's win soccer games mm-hmm. and, and nothing else. Uh, you're with people that are a lot like you, you know, same demographics, same age, certainly same stage of life, likely the same, same gender. And soccer teams are optional. You don't have to be on a soccer team. But families, on the other hand, and w- which are, in this analogy, more like churches, Families are not temporary. There's no championship game at the end of the season. Families are are permanent. Uh, families are all defining. They're they're kind of all encompassing, and they include people who are unlike you. You you have siblings and parents and grandparents and crazy uncles and people that you wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to hang out with, and yet who are essential to your well being and. And, and lastly, he points out that family, families aren't optional, like a soccer team, but they're they're non-negotiable. That um, they define your life, and and I think that's a really helpful analogy to think about the place of parachurches versus church, and understanding that it, it, it's your local church that um, is your family. Yeah, excellent. I like that. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of things, Nathan, to steal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Could we not air this? Um, right, right. Seriously, that way I can just share these things. And, and do you just not want me to show up to church for the yeah. next several weeks? <laughs> you can as long as you keep it quiet. Um, no, I, I've actually uh, jotted some of these things down, Matt. Um, thank you. And I, and I knew that you're a man who's thought very deeply about these things. And, and James shared some things with us. Uh, and I just, you know, and again, I think the balance that you bring that you you know, you're speaking as one who, as you said, was made in the parachurch in many ways, right? And not, yep. not, yep. not in a mafia way either. Uh, I should say remade. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that's right. Well, I work. I mean, I, I, I work for a parachurch, uh, right? Now, uh, you know, the Gospel Coalition. Gospel Coalition, absolutely. The, the moment, the moment that we think of ourselves as the front lines of kingdom advance uh, is is the moment we should we should frankly, close our doors yeah. and, 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 and never publish another article. But uh, at our best, we think of ourselves as the ones who are equipping and resourcing those who are on the front lines, which is, mm, which is you, you know. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. We are, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Uh, there, there were a few other things that we wanted to bring up and talk with you about, but, um, you know, if you're agreeable, we'd love to have you on sometime down the road in the future here. So thank you so much. That sounds good. And I promise I won't talk so much. No, Matt, that was, that was excellent. And yes. believe me, you're not the one that has that reputation. <laughs> is he, Nathan? Uh, <laughs> that's, that has been well, well, you need, you need, you need to, you need to meet my wife and ask her. About <laughs> <reputation>. <laughs> yeah. I bet uh, our wives would uh, have some great swapping to share, you know, to uh, uh, share back and forth, but no, uh, just excellent. Yeah. I really uh, hope our, uh, our listeners take this in. There were some really great things to, uh, to soak in tonight. Absolutely. We're uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Matt, we just rocked the Casper. Rocked it. These go to 11. <laughs>